Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. I am joined now by a, a special person to me. Uh, very excited to have him on today. He is a two-time MLS Supporter Shield champion, CONCACAF Gold Cup champion, two-time MLS All-Star, MLS Best 11. He's played over 400 professional games across all competitions. He's represented the United States at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. Please welcome onto the show, Dax McCarty. Wow, thanks for that, man. Keep can you keep going or is that it? <laughs> no, I mean I could keep going, but I know you're not a big fluff guy, so uh, I'm you know, not, I always I'm like not. try to try to fluff you up a little bit. I I refuse to call you by some of the nicknames that I've seen out there for you. <laughs> um I I'm, I'm simply going to call you Dax McCarty um and we'll go by Dax from uh, here on out. But thanks for coming on. How how's everything going with you? Oh man, it's good to it's good to be on, Bob. Thanks for that introduction, man. Everything's going great, you know. Other than uh other than the off season starting a little bit early for us here in the fire fireland, everything's great, man. Uh, six month old in the house. I'm a new dad. Uh, just just enjoying the ride. Awesome, man. I know you're. Uh, I've I seen your post. You seem pretty happy to to be a new dad, and um, you know I'm really thrilled for you. So I know that's a, a new adventure uh, that comes with its ups and downs. So uh, the the one thing I did see that was uh, that was on your profile that I didn't read was, uh, you know, I'm going to hit you hard early. It's this Emirates Cup. What, what, What is this thing, man? Is this really a trophy that, that you're going to claim? I, I don't have any idea what it was, but uh, I saw it on there and was very curious about it. The Emirates Cup is a very important trophy. Uh, it's actually, it actually goes World Cup, Champions League, uh, English Premier League title, and then the Emirates Cup is like right, it's okay. right underneath okay. that. Some consider it yeah, more it w- prestigious than the FA Cup. You know, I'm not one of them, but it's uh, it's pretty important to me. It's essentially a preseason trophy. Uh, when I first got to the Red Bulls in, in 2011, uh, we went and played a preseason tournament with uh, with Arsenal, PSG, and Boca Juniors, I believe. And guess who, out of all four of those teams, lifted the trophy at the end? Uh, that's right. <laughs> like, that's the part that I just can't believe. The like, New York that, Red that Bulls, really happy. It did. It was amazing. And clearly, this is this is fantastic. You're going to love this. This is like peak MLS. First of all, it was in the middle of our season. So I think we had to rearrange a couple games, <laughs> reschedule a couple games. And then we, we go over there uh, and we have, and I'm not exaggerating. I, I promise you this actually happened. So we're getting ready to play PSG. Uh, that was our first game of the Emirates Cup. And we find out that you know, this, this tournament, it has to be done in a weekend. I'm talking a Saturday and a Sunday. So all these teams are playing two completely separate lineups, right? They have these deep squads. One squad, one team is going to play in the game on Saturday and another team is going to play in the game on Sunday. It's like a little round robin. Whoever wins their first matchup will go on to the, the, the final or whatever on Sunday. But as an MLS team, we can't do that. We, we can't really rotate or else it's going to be get a little bit embarrassing so we had probably eight players play against psg on saturday and we won the game 1-0 
And those same eight players, plus Thierry and a few of the older guys that started the game the very next day on Sunday against Arsenal. And we ended up uh, tying Arsenal. So with four points from two games, we were the Emirates Cup champions. Champions? Did you get a bonus for that? Uh, no. The only bonus we got was being able to uh, walk on the field at the Emirates with Thierry Henry. It's kind of his borderline testimonial, if you will. Okay. All right. Well, no, I, I saw, I knew the teams were good. I just didn't know. I, I, I don't even remember reading about it or, or hearing about that when I was playing. So it's kind yeah, of a weird I don't, one. For I don't me. know why that would be on any, any public profiles of mine. I, I, I don't claim that trophy at all. Oh, it's, it's under your, it's under your honors on, on your Wikipedia <laughs> page. So it, it must be true. <laughs> Maybe we can go back to like my PDL days, PDL championships. No, we're 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 leaving the IX stuff out of this. We're, we're going to go, Orlando? Uh, but <laughs> but but you do bring up a good point. You are a Florida guy, and this is part of the reason I was so excited that uh, I'm I'm a Florida guy as well. And uh, that's right. I, I, this is kind of an un, an unspoken bond in in MLS. Uh, you're not just MLS, just in life. When you run into people that are from Florida. Um, you know, it's just a, a bond that only we share. How do you describe Florida to other people that are, you know, you're, you've lived all over the country now. What, what do you say to people when you say I'm from Florida? What do they, when they say Dex, tell me more about it. What do you tell them? I tell them Florida gets a bad rap <laughs> <laughs> because uh, to be honest, I, uh, I was, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't know how bad of a reputation Florida had until I actually like went and lived in other cities I thought we lived in this like little bubble of paradise where it's always warm and I'm a 45 minute drive from the beach and uh and you know you can play soccer year round it was it was like heaven for me growing up as I'm sure you know uh but once you get out of there and and you go to the let's call it some of the other places in Florida uh because I will say I believe Central Florida specifically Winter Park um where I did grow up is is actually quite a quite a wonderful little town to be honest it's very different than than some other parts of florida but once you once you get out and and you go start to uh visit these other more i'd say secluded rural areas of florida then you you get into the uh you get into the interesting characters that florida produces and so now when people say when people find out you're from florida they always are like ah i just read a story about a, a florida man who uh chugged 17 bottles of ketchup and uh drove went joyriding <laughs> naked with his grandma and you're just like oh you're like okay got it yeah that that happens <laughs> that happens well, everywhere that's what i was i was gonna ask if you i know you play with chris corp so I'm, I'm assuming you have been hazed by your teammates from being from florida yeah no question corb corb was a good one <laughs> um yeah there were there were a few of the guys that uh, that definitely enjoyed the uh, the banter of florida but i gotta tell you man I, if, if if anyone that listens to this has ever been to winter park florida tell me that you don't love it ask uh, ask sasha a question about it sasha's been living there the last two years and i think he probably had a, a very similar view of florida as a lot of people out there and he's lived in winter park for the last two years playing for orlando city and I think he Winter Park has uh, changed his perception a bit. So I'm well, going to yeah, defend. I, I will defend. I will defend Florida till I die. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm with you. I say there's only two types of people: those that that know Florida is the best place on earth, and those that have haven't quite figured out yet that Florida is the best <laughs> place on earth. So and, exactly. And just before this, just before this interview started, I'm, I kid you not, Andrew Dykstra sent me an Instagram post 
that said uh, Florida man arrested for fornicating with an Olaf uh, statue or something <laughs> uh, for, for uh, you know, and the people were saying it's shocking that they have Christmas stuff out already, but uh, I get it. I get it weekly. Anything that happens in Florida, um, you know, people send me stuff. So, but let's, let's forget, let's forget that. We'll it. get into your career, your career here. You, uh, you know, two years at UNC, uh, a big Tar Heels fan. Uh, then you get drafted by FC Dallas in the first round. And I'm not kidding you, Dax. I could do an entire segment just talking to you about the roster of your rookie season. I Man. mean, I looked at some of the names on this list. And first, I know you could probably go off here. I'm going to try to direct you here. You had Shaka Hislop, Dario <laughs> Sala, and Jeff Kassar were your goalies. Shaka Hislop, I looked it up. He was born in the 60s. <laughs> like, how old were those guys when you got there? They were like 40, all of them. Uh, it, it's truly, <laughs> I, I honestly it, I honestly cannot believe that that was the state of our uh, of our goalkeeping situation back in, in 2006. I mean, think about it, right? Like, usually you'd have a goalkeeping situation where you'd have, like, one established, like, veteran starter and maybe, like, a good MLS backup who's, like, you know, mid-20s. And then you'd have, like, a young, like, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid who you're grooming. And we just had three guys who were all, like, mid-30s who were all just, like, really good guys. Um, and it's just really funny to kind of follow like where their careers have all taken them. You know, it's like Shaka is this big respected analyst on ESPN. Now, Jeff Kassar was a head coach in the league. Dario has kind of dabbled in a million different things. I think he was like an agent at one point and he was an assistant coach for Atlanta United under Tata. Um, it's just kind of a extremely rare, eclectic group of goalkeepers, all of them amazing guys and great personalities in their own right. But that's pretty funny to look back and think about how old those guys were when I did come into the league. Yeah, you actually and looking through, you know, I love talking to guys about their former teammates. You had a pretty good coaching tree of guys you played with. I know Greg Vanny was there that first year with you. He was. Um, but. And then you had a, you had fish that was there, and and uh, could you you got any good fish stories for us? I mean, I hated playing against that guy, but Pescadito, he was, uh, he's he was... a complete legend. Um, yeah, I have I have I have a good story. He uh, so we went to, I believe it was my eh, it might have been my first preseason. I'm not sure. It was either 2006 or 2007. It was my first or second preseason. I was really young. I was 18, 19 years old, and we went to Brazil. Uh, we had a partnership with Atletico Paranense, this club down in Brazil. And we went, we trained at their facilities for like 10 days. And then after, our coaching staff was amazing. It was like Colin Clark, Steve Morrow, these Irish guys who just love to party. And you know how it was back then, man. They just, the coaches just didn't care. They would love, they would go have beers with you. They would take you out, nights on the town. They would almost be offended if we had a day off and they and you weren't drinking with them. So we just had a great <laughs> yeah, yeah. group of coaches who like let us kind of do whatever we wanted. So we went to this beautiful place for like two days in Brazil called Florianopolis. And if anyone's ever been there, you'll know it's like paradise. So we're out. We're like hanging out by the pool. We're drinking caipirinhas all day. And uh, I was a pretty young guy, you know, just coming out of college. I fancied myself quite the partier. And uh, I- I'm-, I'm walking around with some of the guys and we run into to- to Pescadito on the beach and he like specifically like keeps me behind. It's actually Pescadito and Dario that he specifically keeps me behind on the beach and just is like feeding me drinks, like having good banter with me. We had a team dinner uh, 
that night that I actually ended up not making it. Uh, I was put to bed early <laughs> because because I was hanging out with Pescadito <laughs> all day, and uh, that's uh, that's one. And he in the next morning he just was he just saw me and just started laughing like, "Hey, do you have a good night?" And I was just like, "Yeah, thanks for that." <laughs> yeah, you had you had some partiers on that team. I know uh, I don't want to go too deep in it. I don't want to talk about Abe Thompson, but he. He's oh an all-time God. legend for for me, and I know uh, that's probably a, a bad influence to have when you're 18, 19 years old. But Abe Thompson, uh, Abe Thompson is in the MLS Hall of Fame, top five partier of all time. I, I think he's top two. I, I'm, I only say two because there might be someone else out there that I don't know about, but he's uh, he's Abe. definitely up there. What a guy! Question: Were you there? Was the playoff fight? Uh, I thought I I, was I absolutely the Colorado I absolutely game? was there. Absolutely. Okay, that was p- penalty kicks in the playoffs. Do y'all get eliminated? Mike Petke, right? Um, your your coach later goes over to celebrate and tell me tell me what happens after that. That that, that was that was just pure mayhem. I mean, some of the things I witnessed in my early years at FC Dallas was just pure insanity. We let's let's mention we're talking about Pescadito a little bit. I mean, who remembers the famous? It was against Houston, the famous Ricardo Clark. Uh, yep, yep. Kick, kick in the shoulder that that turned out to actually be, uh, you know, Carlos being Carlos grabbed his head. Uh, R- Rico didn't take too kindly <laughs> to that, but just that was that was just incredible. That was just mayhem. And then you fast forward to the playoffs. I actually didn't dress, so I was in the stands. We lose on penalties, and Colorado, Mike Petke, they're all celebrating like right in front of our supporters group, and Dario. I don't know if any if anyone doesn't know about Dario. Dario actually, I don't believe he started playing soccer until he was like 20 years old. He has a military background. <laughs> he was in the military in Argentina, so so he he legitimately has some like physical like karate training, and he didn't take too kindly to that. All our whole team started walking off the field, clapping the fans. Dario goes to, in, right into the middle of the Colorado celebrations. And just starts pushing everyone and talking smack and doing all this. And then all of a sudden punches just start being thrown. And Dario is like, he's like Bruce Lee in a, in a Kung Fu movie where you have like 10 guys going against Bruce Lee and he's just karate kicking and punching people. And, and I actually I actually feel kind of bad for my, my guy Hunter Freeman. He took the brunt of that, was trying to break things up. And Dario, I think, just clocked him right in the jaw. And uh, I, I believe he broke his jaw. And so... Dario, he's a guy you didn't want to mess with, and he would defend our fans' honor to the death. I say you've always been kind of part of the drama since day one. You had, like you brought it up, Ricardo kicking someone longest fine I think in history league, uh, history of the league, and um, that Dario one. I, I can't find uh, any video of it. I watched that game live, and uh, I remember that specifically. And then when I was in Atlanta. Uh, I tried to bring that up, and he he's such a nice guy. He just didn't even want to talk about it. But uh, he is yeah, such a, a nice guy. Couple. He is yep. such a nice guy, and it's like so it's so funny to think like that he was involved in that. I I'm almost positive that there is video of it somewhere. There, unless Don Garber had it banished from the internet completely, which you know how powerful Don is, he might have been able to do that. Yeah. But there should be video. Or, or Mike Petke, Mike <laughs> right. Petke might have had it removed. <laughs> well, no. So let's fast forward a couple years. Um, you get, you know, I'll give you a chance if you want to talk. Uh, you get one of your sidekicks in life uh, comes in and Breck Shea. Um, oh. You know, you had a, a couple other guys there that I, I, I'm, I think were interesting and Jeff Cunningham and Daniel Hernandez. But um, you know, you want to talk any on Breck? Breck is a legend. Breck is a legend in every sense of the word. I, uh, I, I love Breck. We're, we're still close friends to this day. He's easily. 
Um, I'd say a good way to describe him is just like a super mercurial player, extremely talented. Uh, the season that he had with FC Dallas, I think it might have been like 2011, where he was an MVP candidate. He was just on fire, and he was incredible. But even more so than on the field, I mean, he's just a guy that like marches to the beat of his own drum. He doesn't care about what anyone thinks of him. Uh, he had a really uh, unique childhood he grew up in college station texas um and, and he's just a super fun guy you you cannot go and hang out with breck off the field and not have fun and those are the types of guys that i like to surround myself with and our team in dallas just in a more broad sense like more towards like the 2008 2009 2010 years my last three years in dallas i mean we just had a great great mix of guys we had older veteran guys who would go and hang out with the younger guys we had middle mid 20s guys who were single and and everyone would meet up at whether it was bars or or restaurants to go eat we'd all hang out at heath pierce's house heath pierce bought a mansion coming back from europe with his uh, european money he bought a, a mansion over there in frisco and we would all go to heath's house and and grill out hang out by the pool have a good time i mean th those were some real so those were some of my favorite teams i've ever played on in the league i mean i just finished season 14 and those Dallas teams were easily some of my favorite, and I st I'm still close to Breck to this day. Yeah, well, you know, you had some. You mentioned Heath. There's some. Those are some real. I call them oddballs. Uh, you know, not in a bad <laughs> way, but in a good way. Uh, but then, as if you couldn't get any weirder, uh, they go and they put Shellis Heinemann in charge of the whole team. And uh, oh, I, you know, I've heard some things over the years where some guys are really indifferent on him, or you know, they're people are afraid to say how they really feel. Um, but Shellis to me has got to be one of the uh, most misunderstood or uh, I don't even know. People just don't know enough about him. Uh, what, what can you what can you shed some light on on the, on the Shellis regime? Shellis regime was uh, I would definitely say one of the weirdest, uh, most frustrating times in my whole career. Um, I was a younger guy coming up through the league and Shellis he just had a, a different way of, of coaching. I mean, there's really no no other way to describe it. Um, I, I don't want to say anything where I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure Shellis never played the game at a high level, um, and he just coached. He, he was a college coach, essentially. He coached for 30 years at SMU. I believe he coached uh, Clark Hunt, who is the owner of FC Dallas, his father, Lamar, I think Lamar really liked Shellis and, and Clark, you know, really liked Shellis and they kept in touch and, and became close. And so whenever they were looking for a coach in, I believe, 2008, maybe uh, 2008, 2009, you know, Shellis was at the top of the list and they hired him. And, you know, the biggest issue for me with Shellis was just that he treated everyone like like they were still in college. He treated everyone. He treated our team like it was a college team. Right. And he was he was trying to hold everyone's hand and, and he was kind of. I don't want to say disrespectful towards the older veteran guys, but he kind of just treated them like uh, like like college kids, and I don't think they appreciated that too much. He had a lot of uh, Shellis was the king of metaphors. He would always use different metaphors to to describe stuff. Um, one of them was the the poor man's blanket. He loved he loved this analogy where you would you know if we if we conceded goals or you know if we were if we were not scoring goals in the attack, he would always say, it's just like a poor man's blanket, right? 
the you want to cover your feet and your head gets cold and and you want to cover your head and then your feet get cold you you can't ever really do both and and we were all just like yeah you can <laughs> you, you can in in soccer you you literally can coach a team to be better than the sum of its parts and you can have a great defense and you can have a great attack you just have to work through it right and so he would he would just say weird stuff like that all the time and to us, it was tough. I mean, I have to say, Shellis and I did not have a great relationship. Um, I, as you know, I've always been a fairly outspoken guy in my career. I would, I would almost hazard to say I was, um, you know, kind of, kind of a headache to coach at some points, especially with certain coaches who had strong opinions, just like I did. But Shellis was one of them that just did not want to hear anyone else's opinion. So when I voiced my opinions, he didn't appreciate it. And we, we never really saw eye to eye on much. Um, I was about to get traded one year, but then, you know, they, they, they didn't trade me. The front office wouldn't do it. And so then I came back and Shellis was like, listen, you come back in, you're going to train with the, with the, the Academy kids. If, if I don't like your attitude. And I was like, all right, I came back in and I trained, I had a great attitude and I ended up starting, I think every game that year, or 2009 maybe 2010 when we when we made it to MLS Cup so we we put our differences aside and had a professional relationship but as you know I was I was left unprotected in the expansion draft after the 2010 season um and I was promptly scooped up by DC United and then six months later traded to the Red Bulls and the rest I guess as they say is history yeah you're jumping ahead of me here uh I was gonna I was going to say, you know, I know you like Daniel Hernandez, and I remember specifically we were in preseason one year, and I think in Florida, the greatest state on earth, and uh, <laughs> and I remember Daniel Hernandez had a, a grill, a mouth grill in, and he had like Jinko jeans and like Air Force Ones, and he just looked like this, you know, like this this hard ass. And yeah. I remember, you know, talking to him, and you know, we we're just hanging out in the hotel, and uh, it was like an out outdoor area, and we started talking about Chellis, and he was like, "Hey, bro." we don't talk about Shellis. And he's like, that dude could be in the bushes. And he's like, <laughs> he's a ninja. And I was like, kind of laughing. And he was like, I'm not kidding. Like he could literally be in the bushes right now. And so we just like, as a team, we don't talk about that guy um, ever. And I was just Dan like, holy crap, man. If Daniel Hernandez is afraid of you, like you're, 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 uh, you know, you got something going on. Daniel Hernandez, the, the toughest teammate I've ever had. Like if you go into battle, like you want that guy on your team, and for him to say that about Shellis, it could not be more true. Shellis is like a a ninth degree black belt. You you see him walk out on the field, and he's like limping. You know he can barely run. He I never saw the guy. I never saw the guy run. Only a couple times where he tried to jog, <laughs> and it just looked really uncomfortable. But the guy was like a ninth degree black belt. And every time we got into a little argument, I would always be like, Is this guy just gonna like karate chop me in the neck and like? put me out of commission for a week like i'm not really sure what's going to happen here but i i know i'm sure most of the people listening to this are going to know about chellis and his karate days but one thing that you will definitely be able to find on youtube is him getting kicked straight in the uh in the man parts and just going yeah. on about his day i think the punter from smu uh, kicked him as hard as he could in the groin and he just it just didn't phase him because he like did this Jedi mind trick where he told he told his groin to not feel pain in that moment and then he didn't. So I think I think a, a good matchup would be to see if Zlatan and and Shellis would, would be able to do like a kung fu fight, see who would come out on top. It'd be like Jackie Chan against Bruce Lee. <laughs> I'm taking Shellis, man. 
I'm taking I'm, him dude, all day. Dude, you, you cannot, hey, as you know, you're a dad. You're a little bit older nowadays, man. You cannot underestimate old man strength. No, he's he's like not he's not of this earth. So he isn't. But uh, but you mentioned it earlier. Let's jump ahead. So you do you get left uh, unprotected. You go into the expansion draft. Portland takes you. DC trades uh, you away from Portland. Um, so I always like to say, you know, Portland had you and and let you go. <laughs> um, you know, when you're going, I, I want to kind of know without uh, getting too far into it. You know, were you as a player that goes into the expansion draft, were you nervous? Were you excited? Were you, you know, eager to get out of there and start something new or more worried about like what the future held? What what was your mindset at that point? I mean, this was crazy, man. This this was this was like the wild west of MLS back in these days. It was like nine years ago, the end of 2010, FC Dallas. We had a great team. We had just made it to MLS Cup. We lost to Colorado in the final. We should not have lost that game. It was ridiculous. It was like negative five degrees in Toronto gale force winds it was just miserable we lost an extra time so we had a charter we had a charter flight on the on the way home and we were partying we were celebrating a great season and we get back to the stadium right and we're all you know we're all a little drunk and we're all a little tipsy from from partying on the plane and in the lock legitimately i'm not exaggerating in the locker room at like this was probably at like eight o'clock at night we're all waiting around and they're tr- saying that, you know, the because the MLS compliance for, for roster compliance, because when the expansion teams came in, they needed lists pretty early back then. So they literally walked from the coach's office into the locker room and we're all sitting there like ready to leave. And, and they read off the unprotected list uh, in front of everyone. And so we're all just, and then they said, all right, we'll have, we'll have individual meeting, individual meetings in the next couple of days, but a bunch of guys already knew whether they were being protected or not. And so, you know, when I found out in that moment that I wasn't protected, it was, um, it was weird. It was, it was by far one of the strangest feelings I've ever had. You're like, okay, this is great. I get to hopefully get taken and leave Shellis. But then it's like, man, I love Dallas. It's my first club. You know, we had we just came off an MLS Cup. We had a great team. So there's all kinds of mixed emotions. I knew right away that that I was I was probably gonna leave and get taken. Um, but you know, the 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 week leading up to it, um, you know, I had been speaking with my agent and I had been hearing different rumors. So finally, I think the day before the expansion draft, I got a call from Ben Olson, who had just been hired as the the permanent head coach of DC, and he said, "Look, we we really like you. We wanna we're gonna trade for you. We already have an agreement in place with Portland, so they're gonna take you and." you know, we're, we're going to, you're, you're essentially already on our team. It's just a matter of semantics at this point. And I said, great, let's do it. Let's start a new, as you know, DC United, one of the, a, a team in the league with probably the, one of the richest histories of winning and success in MLS. I was like, let's do it. It's going to be amazing. I'd go back to the East coast. So it was, it wasn't too nerve wracking. It wasn't too anxiety inducing, I'll say, cause I already kind of knew what was happening, but uh, I was a timber for approximately 30 minutes, I think. And uh, it was a good run with the with the timbers. And then I my, my stay with yeah. DC United was about an hour longer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, so they make you captain for a month and then, uh, and then right. the D-Row trade happens. Yeah, and, uh, that was that was fun too. I, I love I love Ben. Me and Ben have a good relationship. Uh, but he was a first-year head coach. He was like, Ben was like, I, I think Ben was younger than a couple guys that we had on the roster, honestly. Um, we had, we had such an interesting roster in DC United as well. Wolfie was there, Josh Wolf, um, Clyde Sims. And when Ben told me, you know, when he brought me in and told me he was making me captain, I mean, I was 22, 23 years old 
And I was young and I was like, okay, it was a big responsibility. I wanted that responsibility. But Ben was like, look, we know you're going to be on the field. I don't know about anybody else, really. And I said, awesome, I'll take that responsibility. And the truth of the matter is, is I did not play well. I was so focused on being a good captain and focusing on trying to hold other guys accountable and responsible that I actually just, my own play suffered from that. And so that was a really harsh lesson that I had to learn when Ben told me he was trading me. Um, but look, I mean, at the end of the day, when when you can get Dwayne DiRosario, uh, are you going to say no, right? And so... I think it turned out, it worked out well for both teams. I think Dero won MVP that year, even though they didn't make the playoffs. At the Red Bulls, we were we had a lot of success. We made the playoffs every season I was there. Obviously, two supporter shields that we're really proud of. But, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a whirlwind, man, being at D.C. Yeah, don't forget the Emirates Cup. I, I won't, I'll never forget the Emirates Cup. That's 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 <laughs> that's in my heart, though. No. I, don't want, I don't want other people to talk about that. I'm going to keep that one in my heart. Well, we're, we're, uh, we won't go anymore in D.C. because uh, for fear that I will have to speak of my time uh, in <laughs> D.C. And I try to keep this thing lighthearted and happy. So um, of yeah, speaking of lighthearted and, and happy, you get to the Red Bulls. And uh, now all of a sudden you're teammates with uh, a guy named Thierry Henry. You've got uh, my personal favorite, uh, Rafa Marquez. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then we talk, I always, I always like to point out guys that played with coaches and Carl Robinson's there as well. Absolutely. What a, what a mix of guys. Yeah. Going, going to, going to the Red Bulls was, was, I think for me, I was, I was actually extremely excited about that. I mean, uh, Ben was, was kind of trying to, you know, make me play as a little bit more like a, an eight slash 10, right. Where I was getting into the box and I was, I was this guy who was going to play, make and create. And, and I'm just not that good at soccer. So I, uh, I don't think it was really a good fit for me. And then when I went to New York, you know, they, they, they simplified everything for me. There's all these superstars there. There's all these players that have a ton of talent and I'm just there and I, I can focus on myself and focusing on trying to make everyone else better. And it was cool because I probably got like 10, 15 assists to Thierry during my time at Red Bull. And you literally, all you had to do was pass him the ball within 40 yards of the goal and let him just kind of dribble two guys (laughs) and put it in the top corner. And that made me look great. Right. And that probably earned me a new contract. So that was great playing with Thierry. I mean, even playing with Rafa was fun. I mean, Rafa, he didn't really care uh, about anything while he was here in MLS, but off the field, I always tell people this, he was a great guy, really quiet, um, really kind of a funny guy in his own way. Every time he spoke, he was he was cracking a little joke here and there, and because he didn't speak very much, it was funny. So, um, on the field, he he couldn't be bothered. But I tell you, no one can ping a fifty-yard diagonal like Rafa Marquez. Yeah, yeah. I think I say outside of Beckham, he's probably the best passer of the ball the league's ever seen. I mean, if you watch his Barcelona days, I don't um, disagree with that. that. He would, the things he would do were, were incredible. But uh, I, I remember we were in Vegas, and I'm not going into that Vegas story or any kind of <laughs> Vegas stories, but but I do remember you told me a really cool story about um, Thierry making an, uh, an offer to the team, and a couple of you guys took him up on it. Can you walk us through that one? Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the cooler experiences of my my not only my career but my life. Thierry, and he didn't make this offer to the team. He made this offer to only a couple of us, and I, I think part of the part of the the pride that I take and and you know being able to to have pride in my career is just the fact that a guy like Thierry I think had had respect for me as a player and and he enjoyed playing with me 
Um, you know, so that stuff like that goes goes a long way in terms of you know how you feel about uh, your actual level of play. And and I think because Thierry enjoyed playing with me, I think because he enjoyed my you know off the field, we we had a couple good times together. He invited me and a few two other guys, me and and our boy Heath, uh, and then this other guy Johnny Barajo, who was uh, a homegrown guy, uh, Jersey guy through and through great dude he invited us three to go to london with him but it was the the caveat was that we had to leave the next day and we were just like yes absolutely done so like we literally were out out and about in new york city had to go home pack up go to sleep the next day we go to teterboro airport and we're all three like oh my god what's gonna happen are we flying private and obviously we were but we weren't really sure and so we get to the airport and there's no one really in the lounge. We're early. Like we're so excited. Like we're probably like an hour early and, and just sitting there like, Oh my God, what's about to happen. Jamie Fox and his whole entourage of like 15 people like walk in the airport. And I just feel like I'm like, where am I right now? Am I in a movie? Like, am I in punk? Like this is insane. So we hang out and we hang out with his entourage for like five minutes. They escort Jamie Foxx like right out onto the runway and they, they take off like 10 minutes later. Thierry shows up a few minutes later with uh, Juan Pablo Angel and he's just like, all right, boys, like, let's do this. We go out, we get in our G6 or whatever it was and, you know, we fly to London and like Thierry was just the king, you know, he was the king of London. Everyone loves him there. He's honestly like Elvis Presley in, in London. He's so famous and he he put us all three up in our own hotel rooms. He took us to Arsenal training sessions. He took us to Arsenal Tottenham, uh, the the derby game. It, it was just insane. Nice dinners every night, um, and it was really it was really eye opening because I think you see this this persona of Thierry on the field and how he is, and you know he's he's kind of like Zlatan, right? He expects a really high level out of his teammates, and if he doesn't get that, he's really demonstrative, and he looks like he's frustrated all the time. But then you get him off the field, and and if he if he likes you, he's extremely generous with his time and his resources, and just for him to 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 go out of his way to invite us to go to London with him when he didn't have to do that. That's something that that I'll never forget, and I'll always have uh, a special place in, in my heart for a guy who who you know went above and beyond what he had to do for you know a, a 24, 25 year old kid who just was trying to make it. Yeah, no, I, I think that story you told me changed my perception because all the stories I had heard were you know him two footing guys in practice and and elbowing guys in five v two exactly. And, stuff, so. and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I, say I, it like I, this. I'll say it like this, Bobby. Sorry to interrupt you, but honestly, it's oh, it's ahead. almost like it's almost like Dr. Jekyll and, and Miss Hyde, right? And he he had this way about him on the field where he expected such a high level of himself that he also expected that level out of his teammates. And when you play at Arsenal and you play at uh, Monaco and Juventus and Barcelona, you play with the best players in the world. When you come to MLS, that's not excuse me, that's not the reality right? You're playing with kids who are making $40,000 that are coming straight from college. And when things don't go well in training and he gets frustrated, that frustration always came out and it always showed and it didn't show in always the the best ways. And you even saw that in games too, right? And I think that's just someone who has this such a burning competitive desire to always be the best and to always win that it manifested itself in ways that, you know, probably aren't the greatest. And then you you hear about 
what he was about off the field and you just get a completely different perspective, right? So it's almost like there are two different guys. Um, you know, I'll always have love for Thierry and the things that he did for me, not only on the field, but but off the field as well. Pretty crazy. Yeah, no, I, I always enjoyed, I mean, I hated playing against him, but uh, but I also really enjoyed him off the field the times I did uh, hang out with him. We'll keep, we'll keep it moving. Uh, we probably do a whole thing on Thierry. Uh, Absolutely. You know, you, you end up having uh, Hans Baca as your coach, and then you go through, uh, you get Mike Petke in there. You get, uh, you know, I think Cahill and, and Lloyd Sam. We're going to talk about him a little, a little later, but you get Luis Robles comes in. And really, it's kind of the start of the, I call it the Red Bull dynasty. Uh, you get the the two crazy loco dudes and and my favorite, Fabian Espindola and, and Amos, <laughs> uh, Hamasin Alave. Um you know, and then it, it really kind of creates this special team. Uh, did, at the time, did you know it was special or did you just kind of, was it just like a, you know, because you had a good team in Dallas, but this one right. I think was a little bit different. It was. And I knew at the time that we did have, we were building something pretty special at Red Bull. I think that the biggest issue at Red Bull was that there was there was always constant turnover. And I think we always had a lot of talented players. It was just a matter of could we put all that together and, and really um, take the league by storm? Because we always had talent. We were always a really good team. We always played good football. We always played attacking soccer. It was just always a matter of we weren't consistent, right? And so I think the tide really started to turn in terms of us getting more consistency when Thierry retired, you know, because we were so reliant on Thierry. Um, when, when I got there and even throughout his time there, right? I mean, it's just, it, it, it's all, it's a, I, I equate it to the LA Galaxy and Zlatan. I mean, I think Zlatan scored like 20, what did he score? 28 goals this year, 29 goals this yeah. year. I think the next highest goal scorer on the Galaxy was like four, something like that, right? And so with Thierry, we had more balance and Thierry was a, a lot more of an unselfish player. He, he appreciated an assist just as much as he appreciated a goal. So Thierry's numbers weren't ever super staggering but we always had talent around him but he was so ball dominant that I don't ever think we really had a style of play we just kind of had talented players we tried to play out of the back and we tried to find Thierry and then whatever he produced for us that's how we would go once Thierry retired and uh and Jesse Marsh came in and even you know this kind of started a little bit with Petke as well we kind of started to form that that identity that I think everyone recognizes at Red Bull right now which is the high press um but even before Jesse started to form that identity for us, I mean, we we had a really good team, right? I mean, we had we picked up Mike Grella off of nothing, off the scrap heap. He well, he didn't even have a team. He was going on trial with like five different teams who didn't want to sign him. He ended up being an amazing player for us. Picked up Bradley Wright Phillips a, a year or two before that from like League Two in England. Pick up Lloyd Sam from from the championship in England. Pick up Sasha, who had just come off a really successful stint at Anderlecht, right? And then you have me and, and a guy like Felipe. And, and then, you know, you have a guy like Matt Miazga, who was a homegrown, right? Like, you, you just had this mix of guys who you wouldn't ever really think that they would ever be something special in MLS. But that that group was really special. And, and Jesse came in, and, and Jesse really molded us into the the image he wanted for the club. And... And I always say this, and, and you know, my career's not over yet, so I don't want to call it one of the biggest regrets yet. I think I, I will when my career's all said and done. But the fact that that those Red Bull teams, um, even with Thierry as well, the fact that our Red Bull teams never won an MLS Cup is a real shame. And it's always, you know, people talk about the playoff curse and 
we we the truth is is we we just kind of choked a little bit in in big moments in the playoffs in one-off games you know home and away we just we just could never put it together and, and really have find that consistency in the playoffs to take us to the next level but man i, I i'll always say i mean those some of the i'd say three three or four years there in the east i i, I am a firm believer that we could have been an mls cup challenging for for that trophy and the fact that we didn't we didn't even make an mls cup in my time there which is i think the biggest yeah. disappointment so yeah man it was a lot of fun to be a part of it a lot of talented guys and um i'll, I'll definitely cherish that time in my career well yeah so i mean you brought up uh you know i know you talked you kind of fast forwarded on jesse coming in and then i was going to say he brought in uh a guy that uh, i feel like is you know up there for most hated guy in the league um <laughs> when i yeah. played i think he's i think he still elicits a lot of emotion um i've kind of heard some mixed reviews on felipe um i, I don't want to go into jesse i think anyone that follows you knows uh you know your story with jesse and and how you left but um right you know what t- tell me a little bit about felipe and i'm backboning this with uh, you know, my story, it's, I'm going to draw this back on you, but, um, you know, I just kind of curious as to, cause I hate, I hated playing you guys and I hated playing him more than anyone, but, right. um, you know, what, what, what kind of teammate was he, you know, cause I've heard that he was a great teammate and then I've heard from other people that, um, you right. know, that he, he could, he could implode the whole thing. Yeah. Felipe is an interesting character. I mean, obviously uh, I think, you know, on the field specifically, um, you know, when you were on the field with him in a game, he was a good guy to have on your back. You know, he was, he was always feisty. He was all, he always had a, he always had this me against the world mentality. And I think that was a good thing for him and also a bad thing for him, right? Because it all, he almost took it too far. And Felipe was a guy, he always towed that line of like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate as a competitor. But to me, he did cross the line a little bit too much. And even in training, right? I mean, sometimes in training, he would just do things and he would say things and, and he would get angry and scream about things that it just, it was unnecessary. Right. And so, you know, Felipe and I, we had a, 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 a good relationship off the field. I would say we were competitive in training and I would say we didn't love each other at all, at all times, but it was a, it was a respectful relationship. But when it comes to him on the field and um, this persona that he tried to create, um, it, it was too much, you know, and, and I don't know if, uh, you know, he would say the same. I think that's kind of how he motivates himself. But when you're in the tunnel and when you're getting ready to walk out of the field, right, it's almost like you hear this guy screaming at the top of his lungs, like, let's go, boys. Like, they're nothing. Like, they're scared of us. Like, they don't want any piece of us, right? It's like, okay, there's there's mind games and then there's just obnoxiousness, right? And, and he bordered on being a little obnoxious with just some of his antics. And so... He is a good teammate. Um, he's a guy that in the locker room, you know, he he fit in and he tried to do his thing. He 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 got a, a little bit aggressive in training sometimes, and that that would annoy me. But at the end of the day, you know, he was a. I have to give Felipe credit. He was a big part of the success of of that midfield of me, him, and Sasha, who you know I felt like for those two years we were together, I felt like we dominated a lot of games and, and that was, you know, Felipe was a big part of that. So it's interesting to hear the different perspectives of like guys that have played against him and, and guys that have played with him. But I'm curious to hear what you think. Well, well, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I had a lot of bad games at Red Bull arena. So, that, you know, <laughs> I think a lot, a you lot probably, of that you probably emotion, scored a lot of own goals there. 
No, I, I don't. I don't think I had too many there, but um, I like to save those for home games. Um, but regardless, I remember after one of the games there, we lost, and and I had he he did cross the line, and I had decided I was going to fight him after the game in the tunnel. <laughs> like, I'm talking about I'm talking about like controlled controlled emotion. Like I got showered and changed, and was like, you know, when I when I leave, I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'd even told someone, hey, let me know if he's out there. And I think they, uh, someone was like, Oh God, Bobby's going to go crazy here. And, uh, and, oh, he, and they let me know. So I, I literally went out and I was going to, I had made up my mind. I was going to fight him, but he was there with his wife and his kid. Yep. And I remember being like, I remember being like, okay, that, you know, this isn't, he doesn't deserve anything like that. And I was right. able to control my emotion, but, but I want to, the reason I tell that story is just to give you an idea of how far I was, you know, down that, I call it the wormhole. But even with you and I, I feel like we were always friends, you know, even though we played in the Texas Derbies and then, you know, uh, we'd hang out at the PA and offseason stuff, um, meetings and things of that nature. But I I even let our relationship get strained, um, you know, just based on this rivalry with the Red Bulls and, and uh, D.C. United. A- absolutely. Um, to the point where, like, I didn't I never wanted to fight you, but you, <laughs> you had a pretty good way of. uh I always call it. You had very hurtful sarcasm, uh, yes. kind of you know pl- playing mind games, and and you know I appreciate now that I'm done. I appreciate kind of the the games that we played and and the and I'm talking the mental games, but sure. you would get under my skin with little comments, and uh, it's crazy how these rivalries could incite this emotion. And I'm kind of wondering uh, how how you feel about that. You know, you played against a lot of guys you were friends with in these rivalries, but absolutely, uh, you seem, so to, always, I, you seem I, to come out as the the good guy. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think it's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, just to speak, just to wrap it up on Felipe a little bit, that's the thing about him is like, he is such a dedicated, devoted family man. And like, he loves his family so much and he's such a good dad and he's such a good father. It's like, how, it's like, how can this guy, you know, be one person at home and then another person on the field, but it's like so polar opposite. You just can't really wrap your head around it. Right. And like you said with me, right? Like I, I always tried to have this way about me where, okay, I'm competitive and I'm kind of a, an asshole for lack of a better word on the field to try to play against. But I always, I never wanted to cross the line. You know, I, I never felt like that was appropriate and like not to toot my own horn, but like I've never gotten a red card in my entire career. And it's because I actually just take pride in trying to play the game the right way. But there are certain mental battles and, and you know, I, I do remember like playing against you, you know, if you would, if you would kick one of our guys from behind, I know I I remember specifically I would always say something to you and then I would always say something to the ref you know and I would always just try to plant the seed in the ref's head like listen this guy's doing this every time you know Bradley Wright Phillips can barely walk and you got to do something about this and it was just those mental mind games right where like maybe I plant the seed in your head that you see me talking to the ref and now you're thinking all right I'm going to have to play a little bit softer. And if I play a little bit softer, like maybe Bradley Wright Phillips is going to be able to sneak in and score a goal. You know what I mean? And those were, those were always the little advantages that you'd try to gain. And I'll never forget. I was playing against, we were playing Red Bull DC, big rivalry. I mean, especially like, I think when, I think the rivalry is taking a little bit of a backseat to the New York rivalry, the NYCFC Red Bulls rivalry. But I mean, when we played before NYCFC came into the league, I still took so much pleasure in beating DC United. You know, even though I played there, it was a big rivalry for me. And you you know the same. I mean, it meant a lot to DC United to beat the Red Bulls, and it meant a lot to us to beat you guys. And those rivalries were really fierce. 
you know, back when you guys had Chris Pontius and even Davey Arnaud. And this story is about Davey. I, uh, I remember we were playing, and me and Davey, you know, we always competitive guys, right, kind of cut from the same cloth. I had a ton, a ton of respect for Davey and what he accomplished in his career. And so we would play against each other. And, you know, for me, one of the tactics that you guys used to play against us was always to be super physical, right? Because we were always really aggressive running and, and trying to scrap and you guys were like extra physical on top of that, right? And so, you know, Davey was was just fouling people left and right. And and I remember I said one comment to Davey and I said, oh, Davey, you know, I, I you used to be a good soccer player. Like, what did you have? What have you turned into right now? You know, just kicking people. And I didn't think he would take as much offense to it as he did, but Davey was so pissed at me for that comment. Like, so pissed, you know? And, and he was like, even after the game, I saw him after the game, he was still upset about it. He said, Dax, that, that, he's like, that wasn't cool. I didn't appreciate that. And I said, Davey, come on, you know? We're on the field. Emotions are running high. Like, it's, it's, it's obviously that's not how I feel about you, but in the moment... You were pissing me off. You kept kicking my players, you know? And so it was a really interesting dynamic, the trash talk and just being friends with guys off the field and trying to have a, a respect for a guy, but also trying to gain that mental edge. It's such an interesting dynamic. But for me, it was never personal. Never. It, even if I hate a guy, even if I, I can't stand a guy, it was never personal. A, big, a guy that I had a big rivalry with whenever we played against each other was Tony Chani. You know, and, and for me, we would always be at each other's throats, back and forth, back and forth. It was never personal. Once we left the field, I left it there. And Tony Chani and I ended up being teammates in Chicago last year. So you never know where the this crazy, twisted road of soccer is going to take you. And you never want to cross the line to a point where you really piss a guy off to where, like, he could be your boss one day. You know, Davey's moving up the ladder in coaching and you know, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm done yet, but if I ever coach and, and Davey's around and if he has a chance to hire me, I don't want him to think back to the time where I was talking shit to him and he, and he, and he, he won't hire me for that. You know what I mean? So it's an interesting dynamic. No, I agree. I, I, you know, I think Davey probably, I know Davey pretty well and uh, he's actually my neighbor. Um, and and he, I, I guarantee you he has not forgiven you for that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, I knew he wouldn't. Um, he won't forgive I, me for that comment. So, so, I, and I, I just want a quick answer to this. You know, I, we're, we're going to, I'm going to try to speed this up, uh, sure. not, you know, wrap it up. Um, Houston, Dallas is a Texas Derby. You had the I-95 with the Red Bulls in DC. I think the league tried to manufacture this uh, Red Bull Philly rivalry, but it seems to be a little bit of a, a rivalry. And then you have the uh, Red Bull NYCFC rivalry. I mean, uh, it's safe to say uh, the the New York one is the that's the one now, right? I mean that's that's the real rivalry. Okay, I will say. Look, I'll say but, this: I've I've played in a lot of rivalries, and and the league maybe they do try to manufacture some, but Houston and Dallas is a real rivalry. That that's one that has a lot of spice to it, right? Red Bull. It seems like Red Bull has a rivalry with almost like half the league. Seriously, I mean it always felt like that. It always felt like when I was playing for Red Bull, every time a team came in, it was like, oh, these guys have a rivalry with us. They want to beat us bad. You know, even new England, right? Like you always yep, felt like yep. there was kind of a little rivalry there, but the red, I will say once NYCFC came in, um, I promise you that that took, that took a front seat and, and all everything else, even, even for me, it was even bigger than the Houston Dallas one. And so just being in the same city as a team, the banter, them playing in Yankee stadium in New York city, us playing in Jersey, um, red versus blue. I mean, it was real. And, and the fact that we dominated that rivalry so heavily in the beginning, um, I mean, that was, that was a lot of fun for me. 
And the seven zero game is is a game, a top top three, four game I've ever been a part of in MLS, and I'll never forget that one. Yep. Yeah, I don't think anyone will, unfortunately, <laughs> for uh, their team. But um, <laughs> all right, we're uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over some things here. I, I had a, a whole thing about uh, you've played with some absolute burners and Dominic Oduro, Fabian Castillo, Dane Richards, Hamasin Olave, David Akam. I was yep. gonna ask you if if you think I could beat them. Uh, in a foot race, if they have to dribble the ball, um, I think you could beat them. T- no, let me. I'll answer this quickly. I think that you could beat them in a foot race if they had to dribble the ball and had both their legs tied together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say I, I. The only reason I bring this up is I, I. I say I like to lead from unrealistic things into things that unrealistically happened, and that's going <laughs> to the Olympics. And and. I think, you know, that was one of the biggest dreams of mine uh, as a kid. And I just uh, I know that you kind of got brought in late, but you did get to go to the Olympics. Um, And I just feel like uh, soccer players, especially from Florida, which is a big baseball, football state, uh, you know, we took a lot of flack. And I think that's why you're so realistic. I'm realistic, um, you know, that you have your friends that give you a really hard time about soccer is not a real sport and all this and that. But going to the Olympics has got to be up there on your, hey, man, uh, I am a real athlete. I went to the Olympics, and it kind of shuts everyone up. So uh, just walk me through that one real quick. That was that, that, that you hit it on the head, man. I mean, the Olympics for me and for my family was right, like right up there with the World Cup. Like it's like World Cup is 1A in terms of importance. Olympics was 1B. And I, I just think I, just real quickly, like hitting on that, I had been playing really well. Like I had a great Olympic qualifying tournament. I made like the all tournament team. We actually had a game in Tampa. We had, I think a few games in Tampa actually at Raymond James. And like, I just played really well. Peter Novak was our coach. He loved me. He was really happy with me. We had a couple guys that I think were in Europe and maybe injured, um, that, that didn't go. And so it really gave me a chance. And so the age group was like the, the cutoff was 1985. Right. And I'm born in 87. So like I was even playing up a couple years and I was playing well. And like we had such a good team and that Olympic team was so good. And so when, once uh, Peter Novak named the actual Olympic roster, I was an alternate and it was crushing. Like it was a crushing blow for me because I really wanted to go and I thought I was going to go. My really good friend, another Floridian, Nathan Sturgis, MLS legend. Um, did you ever cross paths with Nate, Bobby? Uh, Nate's played on every team in the league. So of course I crossed paths. With <laughs> I thought you did maybe Houston. Yeah. So he, he played on like 10 teams in 10 years. Like it was, he's him and Jeff Cunningham are like yep. the all, all MLS, yep. every team guys. MLS legend, Nate Sturgis. Anyways, Nate was one of my good friends is still one of my good friends. He actually got injured and it was so weird because he was a defender. He was slated to play fullback, I believe in the Olympics. And Peter called me in as an alternate. And so it was ironic because one of my best friends got injured. I ended up going. I was a midfielder. He was a defender. It was just very weird, but I, I didn't care. I didn't ask any questions. We go. It's such a cool experience. We play a couple friendlies in Hong Kong. Um, we go to our, our, our training camp, and our training camp was like maybe an hour and a half to two hours outside of Beijing. Our first game was like in – I forgot what city it was in. Um, our first two games, actually. But I'll never forget this. They asked us, the staff asked us, because the opening ceremonies were, I think, two days before our first game. 
and they were like, do you guys want to go? You know, it's a little cutting it a little close. Like we'd have to drive back really late and like you'd only have a day before the game to rest. And in my head, I'm thinking and, 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 and the majority of the guys voted, no, we don't want to go. And I might th- in my head, I'm thinking, are you guys kidding me right now? Like someone has to be kidding. This is the Olympics. This is the opening ceremonies. It's not the night before our first game. It's two nights before. I could not believe it. So anyways, me and a few other guys like went to the staff and we're like, listen, this is the Olympics. All right. We want to go to the opening ceremonies. I don't care if the other guys don't want to go, like at least send a bus of a couple of us to let us go. And we ended up convincing everyone, right? Because I could not believe some guys didn't want to go. So we all end up going to the opening ceremonies. The opening ceremonies are just amazing. Total um, unbelievable spectacle. I'm sure you remember them. Um, and we got to see all these. We, we were we met all the NBA guys, LeBron, uh, Dwight Howard, D. Wade, all these guys. We got. To, I met uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Roger Federer, uh, Yao Ming. I mean, we. I was like, it was like mind blowing to me that some guys would not want to go to the opening ceremony. So we ended up going. Unbelievable atmosphere, incredible experience. Just a quick rundown of our Olympic games. I could not believe we didn't advance out of the group. We got really unlucky. Michael Orozco, all we needed was a win or a draw in the last game against Nigeria. Michael Orozco gets a red card two minutes into the game. Play a man down the whole game. We're losing 2-1. We almost score. I think Charlie hits the crossbar in the last minute. That would have sent us through the group. We had a really good team, man. A really good team. We should have gone further. And that was, uh, but that, it, the overall experience was just incredible. Yeah, no. And, and for those of you that, uh, you know, listening to this and you have the internet, I, I implore you to go and look at uh, the 2008 Olympic rosters for every team. You'll be blown away by not only who's on some of these uh, these other teams that were there, but but the ages of these guys. You'll feel uh, very old, like I did when I went through <laughs> and saw how how old Marcelo actually is. Um, you know, because he was at that Olympics for Brazil. But um, yep. but yeah, let's let's jump forward. Um, well, I was going to say that actually probably uh, gave you a little bit of street cred, but. Uh, talk about your family real quick. We got your dad who's named Dart. Uh, I mean, right. not surprising that he has a kid named <laughs> Dax, but he yeah. was a fighter pilot. You have a brother that won MLS Cup. Uh, is the Olympics the thing that lets them uh, lets you eat at the table with them, or do they just say it you does. didn't really accomplish a whole lot? Okay. It does, man. And uh, it's funny because I came home one uh, one Christmas or whatever to have a nice time with my family and we're eating dinner and i noticed my brother's wearing his mls cup championship ring and i'm just sitting there like you bastard that's so messed up because i don't have one he he played he played one year in mls this guy played one year in mls he got to play with robbie keen landon donovan david beckham and i don't know if gordo was there i don't think alan gordon was on his team at the time i think gordo was a goonie up in san jose but i'm like this guy got to play on one of the greatest teams in mls history win a ring and then he's, he calls it a career. He's done. And so, yeah, the Olympics. And then my dad, my dad always likes to joke that the movie Top Gun with Tom Cruise is actually based off his exploits. So <laughs> I, don't, I, I think I think Dart is uh, I think he's kind of blowing smoke up my ass. But I, I do I do think that being able to go to the Olympics and say I, I got my Olympic ring was uh, lets me sit at the table. And my mom was like a, an unbelievable tennis player growing up in high school and in college. So quite the uh i will i'll brag on my family a little bit quite the accomplished uh family uh that's awesome do, do they do any of them have a chipotle card or no <laughs> nope nope i did i oh, had one so for there a full you go. year there you go. Keep i still that, I'm, keep gonna, I'm gonna one. frame i'm gonna frame that chipotle card and hang it up next to like my my landon 
Zlatan, Pirlo, Via jerseys. Yeah, that that's the only thing my wife is disappointed that I didn't get. She's just like, <laughs> I I don't understand why you you can't have one of those. I said I'm just I'm just not good enough. But you don't make it right, until well, you get a Chipotle this, card. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let, let's wrap this thing up. I I, I, talk, I said I talk about Lloyd Sam. Um, you know, good friend of mine. Everything everyone loves Lloyd. Lloyd, uh, he said something that I find uh, pretty interesting about you. He said, you know, Dax had of of all the players I played with. Um, you know, and I don't know if he was talking uh, just Americans, but I think he said of all players that you had the highest soccer IQ of anyone he's ever played with. And, um, you know, first, let me emphasize, he did use the word soccer. So he said <laughs> highest soccer IQ. Um, but all joking aside, uh, I, I think that that's a huge compliment considering where he's played and been. And and I think that I, I would agree with that. And I think that you are a very uh, intelligent player. And, you know, I, I only bring that up because is that how you see yourself and, and how do you want to be remembered? I think you still have a couple good years, uh, you know, hopefully a few good years left ahead of you. But how, how do you want to be remembered as a as a player in this league? Yeah, I, I wow. I'm uh, honestly I'm you know me, man. I'm not I, I, I like to talk. I, I don't get left speechless very often. But honestly, Lloyd is a good friend of mine, but I'm floored, you know, that, that he said that about me because that's uh I think for me personally in my career, I think that's the highest and the best compliment that anyone could give me. And so when I, when I, when it's all said and done, Bobby, I think it's no secret the type of player I am. I'm, I'm a guy that should have never made it right. And like, I'm a guy that's, that's, I'm not fast. I'm not strong. Uh, I'm not particularly amazing at any one thing on the field, but the thing that, that always, I think, set me apart in terms of how I could contribute to the team was just to try to be the smartest guy on the field and just try my best to figure out how I'm going to be involved in the game plan, but just how I'm going to figure out how I'm going to help the team win. And so, you know, you don't talk a lot uh, about soccer IQ anymore these days. You talk about goal scoring, you talk about technique, you talk about speed, you talk about stepovers and talent, right? And so for me, the, that is that is easily the the highest praise that anyone could give me and, and for Lloyd to say that about me a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for and a guy who as you know I think a guy who sees the game really well and a guy who knows the game really well um, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not speechless but I am speechless and, and it's a, a tremendous compliment so what I'll say is that whenever I talk about Bastian Schweinsteiger and everyone asks me well, well what is it that he does so well and I say, well, he's, he's a guy who has the highest soccer IQ that I've ever played with. And you don't, you don't win. You, you're, like Bastian, he, he played as a winger. He played as a number 10. He ended his career as a number six. He ended his career as actually a center back. Like you don't have a career like that where you win the Champions League and you win the World Cup if you don't have some sort of special thing that sets you apart. And what set him his, him apart was just his soccer brain. The way that he could think about getting in and out of certain situations was a sight to behold. And and for you know obviously it's it, for me it's it's at a little bit of a smaller level, right? Because I didn't accomplish the things that that Bastion did. But you know for for my teammates to say that about me, that's for me that's that's better. That's bigger than any award I could ever receive. Going to the Olympics, going to being MLS Best Eleven, winning the Supporter Shield for my teammates. To, to say that about me and to have that that I think I guess you would call it respect is is something that I care about more than 
I think most players would. And so when my career is all said and done, if all my teammates, you know, have a maybe not the same feeling, but similar, I'll, I'll be very happy and I'll be able to, to hang my boots up as a happy man. So I, I appreciate both of you guys saying that. Um, it's definitely something that, uh, that that I hold dearly. No, it's, I think it's, I think most people would agree with that, uh, you know, having seen you play or played against you, but it is a big compliment when you have guys that were with you every day, uh, say it. So, um, For sure. you know, congrats on a great career so far. We, we won't go too much. Last thing it's a, you know, this is brought to brought to everyone by the MLSPA. Um, I always like to bring up, you were drafted, uh, as a generation Adidas player. Uh, you came into the league when the reserve league was still a thing. Uh, you were taken, uh, made eligible and taken in an expansion draft. You were traded away to, to a team in uh, the middle of the season. You've been traded in an off season. Um, I always, I always like to preface that, uh, this question with what a guy's been through. Uh, sure. when I ask this next question, we have uh, upcoming negotiations and, and it'll be an ongoing thing, you know, one, when you're there and two, when you're gone, um, one is, are you happy with where the league is at now and uh, compared to when you started? And where do you think you would like to see the league go uh, without, you know, trying to bring us into the negotiation table saying something you can't say? Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've been through it all, man. Uh, I think I've been through every possible mechanism that this league has to offer, maybe not being waived or maybe not having to go through like the waiver draft or the reentry draft. But to me, from when I started, and I think you, I think you started the year before me. I think you're 05. Are you not, Bobby? I did. Yeah, I was. I was one one long year ahead of you. <laughs> so so, from where the league was back in the those mid two thousands to where it is now, uh, it's to me is insane. Right? We had I think we had ten to twelve teams in the league back then. Half were playing in football stadiums. Maybe getting fifty. 10 to 15,000 fans a game, right? You training facilities, you were training on high school fields. You, you had nothing right to, to fast forward, to look at it now, to see Seattle, A Atlanta United, LAFC, to see these teams come in and be able to not only build beautiful soccer specific stadiums and not, not, I'm not talking about, let's say Atlanta and Seattle specifically, but more like LAFC, uh, right? Like, um, Minnesota, Minnesota, exactly. Minnesota, Orlando. I mean, to see that and then to see the, the, the amount of fans that go to Atlanta United games, 50, 60, 70,000. I mean, they have more fans than the Atlanta Falcons to see that. I mean, you have to pinch me because I, I can hardly believe the league has come this far. And there were some really like tenuous negotiations. Negotiations are always like bitter. They're always tenuous. There's always, a lot of anxiety involved on both sides, but I think we'd all agree that the league is in a much healthier place now than it was back then, and it's going to continue to grow. You know, for me, the owners are very important. The owners are, are the ones that drive all this. The owners, the players, and the fans, right? The three, uh, I'd say, pillars of what MLS needs to be. Fans, they drive everything. The fans are super important. The supporters, they're the ones that pay their hard-earned money to go watch teams play and they want a nice product what is a nice product a nice product is good players a nice product is good coaches and then who controls all that with the money they spend it's the owners right and so those three things for me they continue to improve arthur blank by atlanta united i mean i think we'd all agree he's one of the best owners in the league uh we just chicago fire just got bought by a guy 
Joe Mansueto, who has a huge vision for what he wants the Chicago Fire to be. Like, these guys are so important for the growth of the league that I just don't think it can be overstated enough. And so, for me, I think in I think in 10 years, you're going to see MLS be easily, easily a top five league in the world. I think that the TV money uh, and the viewership is going to have to improve for that to happen. But I think with patience and with the right strategy, it will. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, uh, last, last but not least, uh, I, I know you've got a newborn. Uh, are you doing anything in the community? Any charities that you're working with? Do you want to promote? Uh, you know, on here before we uh, before we let you go. Sure, man. I, I nothing with uh, nothing nothing with the baby. I mean, the baby's got the nanny right now, but. Um... Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big supporter of a cause that I started uh, supporting in New York called Street Soccer USA, um, and it's it's an unbelievable cause. It, it helps uh, it helps fight homelessness through the game of soccer, and it encourages uh, people in tough situations, people that maybe are homeless, people that are maybe struggling to get by. It encourages them to go play soccer, not just to play and get exercise, but also to find a community of people to be able to help pick you up and to help make friends and help maybe make connections to, to be able to get people on their feet again. And it's an unbelievable cause. It's grown every single year. They have a massive uh, tournament in, in Times Square every year. Um, Street Soccer USA, go support it. A lot of great people working in that organization. That's awesome. Well, uh, for those of you that enjoyed listening to Dax today, he is on uh, on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Um, for those that don't know, he was named after uh, a Latin playboy that was known for uh, <laughs> for sleeping with women and wielding guns and driving fancy sports cars. And if you follow his social media, uh, you will find that he actually just posts about his two French bulldogs, his lovely wife, and his newborn baby. But uh, please That's give it. him a follow if you don't if you don't already. Uh, listen, I'm glad you were able to come on today. I think you have some of the best stories in the league because you've been around uh, some really cool guys and some really good teams. I'm glad we were able to bury the hatchet and you admitted to mental <laughs> bullying uh, early in my career. Um, I'm able to get over that. And I just wish you uh, nothing but good luck uh, going forward with the rest of your career. It's a Hall of Fame career, in my opinion. Uh, and I hope you can only add to it and get that elusive cup to uh, to stop your brother from from hounding you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bobby. I, I really appreciate it, man. The the feelings are mutual, and uh, it's good to see that you've landed on your feet and are doing very well after the uh, the bullying that I, I I gave you. I apologize for that. Well, I'm I'm the host, and you're still uh, playing, and you're the interviewer. So I think you're doing the right thing here. But uh, but yeah, no, but you have like four, you have got you got like four kids to take care of, man. Soccer takes a backseat <laughs> to that. Dex, like myself, is never short on words, but we're all grateful for his time. What an amazing career he's had thus far. So uh, he will continue plying his trade in the newly minted team in Nashville, Tennessee. It's actually the Nashville Soccer Club. Don't call it a football club. It's Nashville Soccer Club. An expansion side where I assume he will be the captain and, uh, and I know he'll be the leader. So keep an eye out for him next season. In the Where Are They Now segment, Dax unpacked a lot. Uh, there were a lot of guys to choose from there, but I went ahead and just started uh, with Shaka Hislop. Most of you know him. He's a TV pundit now. Uh, Shellis Hindman, he's coaching at Grand Canyon University. 
Um, he actually led them, I believe, to their first NCAA appearance, uh, not this past season, but the season before. And he is the newest inductee into the U.S. Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Shellis. Uh, long time, long time great at SMU, and now he's continuing that at Grand Canyon University. Heath Pierce probably doesn't need to be told what uh, he's an entertainer. You guys know him from... Uh, you know, his camera talents at uh, being on camera rather for Copa 90. And he is also the occasional analyst. Um, and he's still a free agent. So you might see him come out of retirement if anyone picks up his uh, his rights. Daniel Hernandez is back here in Texas where I live. Uh, he's working as an insurance agent. He was also inducted into a Hall of Fame, but his was the, uh, the SMU Hall of Fame. I don't know if any of you know this, but he was not only a three-time All-American in soccer, but he was also the place kicker for the football team, which I think is uh, is just awesome. But congrats to him on uh, being inducted uh, a couple years ago, and uh, good luck to him as well. Lloyd Sam, uh, one of my favorite guys. He's uh, a champion playing with the Miami FC team in the MPSL. They, they, uh, they were repeat champions last year. He was a big part of that. And he's also probably doing more fantasy football leagues than is healthy um, in claiming that he's winning all of them. Uh, there was a guy he mentioned named Thierry Henry, uh, or Henry, I think is the way it goes. Uh, he went on to become an assistant for uh, assistant coach for Belgium's national team. Then he took over a head coaching job at Monaco. And now he's the coach for the Montreal Impact. So good luck to Thierry and his new role in MLS. I think uh, he'll get that team uh, back into the playoffs where they belong. Last but not least, Rafa Marquez. Uh, he captained Mexico and the most recent World Cup. That was his fifth World Cup appearance. I participated in five World Cups. There's only, I think, four or five guys ever to do that. So congrats to him. Uh, he took a front office role with the club he started at uh, in Liga MX at Atlas. Uh, at, that was after he retired, and then he was also working to help uh, different players. Uh, he was one of the leaders in this initiative to uh, create the newly founded Mexican Footballers Association. So uh, very good to, to have those guys have some representation uh, when they're dealing with Liga MX and, and also with their, uh, their national team. So. Uh, there you go. There you have it, Dax McCarty. It's a long one, but it's a good one. Uh, always ha enjoy having him on. Uh, probably have him on, you know, in five or six years when he finally decides to retire. Enjoy, you guys. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at MLSplayers.org.